But we both knew that most sand sharks were small, yellowish in hue, and didn't cruise at sunset on the outer shelf. We stared at the water for a long time and saw a school of baitfish scatter in panic across the surface. I could hear Jimmy breathing as though he had labored up a hill. Then his face turned gray and his eyes looked into mine. Jimmy pointed southward at two o'clock from where we stood. A fin larger than the first one sliced diagonally across a swell and cut through a cresting wave. Then we saw the shark's back break the surface, a skein of water sliding off skin that was the color of scorched pewter. There was nothing for it. The sun was setting like a molten planet descending into its own smoke. In a half hour, the tide would be coming in, lifting us off the sandbar, giving us no option except to swim for the beach, our bodies in stark silhouette against the evening sky. We could hear music and the popping of fireworks on the amusement pier and see rockets and star shells exploding above the line of old U.S. Army officers' quarters along the beachfront. It was going to be a long haul to the beach. There's sharks in the water. Didn't you fellers see the lifeguard's flag? A voice called. I didn't know where the girl had come from. She sat astride an inner tube that was roped to two others, a short wood paddle in her hands. She wore a one-piece black swimsuit and had sandy reddish hair, and her shoulders glowed with sunburn. Behind her in a distance I could see the tip of a rock jetty that jutted far out into the breakers. She paddled her makeshift raft until it had floated directly above the sandbar and we could wade to it. Where'd you come from? Jimmy said. Who cares? Better jump on. Those jellyfish can sting the daylights out of you, she said. She was tall and slight of build and not much older than we were, her accent hardcore East Texas. A wave broke against my back, pushing me off balance. Are you fellers deaf? Y'all sure don't act like you care somebody's trying to help you out of the big mess you got yourself into. We're coming, Jimmy said and climbed onto one of the inner tubes. Waves knocked us over twice and it took us almost a half hour to cross the trough between the third and second sandbars. I thought I saw a fin break the surface and slide across the sun's afterglow. And once, a hard-bodied object bumped against my leg. But after we floated past the second sandbar, we entered another environment, one connected to predictability, where we could touch bottom with the ends of our toes and smell smoke from meat fires and hear children playing tag in the darkness. The girl said her name was Ida Durbin, and she had seen us through binoculars from the jetty and paddled after us because a shark had already attacked a child farther up the beach. You'd do that for anybody, Jimmy said. There's always some folks who need looking after, at least those who haven't figured out sharks live in deep water. Jimmy and I owned a 1946 Canary Yellow Ford convertible with white wall tires and twin Hollywood mufflers. We drove Ida back to the jetty where she retrieved her beach bag and used a cabana to change into a sundress and sandals. Then we went to a beer garden that also sold watermelon and fried shrimp. The palm trees in the garden were strung with tiny white lights, and we sat under the palms and ate shrimp and watched the fireworks explode over the water. Are y'all twins? she asked.
I'm eighteen months older, I said. She looked at both of us. Y'all sure favor for brothers who aren't twins. Maybe your mama just liked the way y'all looked and decided she'd use just one face, she said. She smiled at her own joke and looked away and studied the tops of her hands when Jimmy's eyes tried to hold hers. Where you live, Ida? he asked. Over yonder, she said, nodding vaguely up the main drag. You work here in Galveston? he said. For a little while, I am. I got to go now. We'll drive you, he said. I'll take a cab. I do it all the time. It's only fifty cents. Jim started to protest, but she got up and brushed crumbs of fried shrimp off her dress. You boys don't get in no more trouble. Boys, Jimmy said after she was gone. Galveston Island was a strange place back in those days. The town was blue-collar, the beaches segregated, the Jack's Brewery its most prominent industry, the old Victorian home salt-bitten and peeling. It was a vacation spot for the poor and the marginal and a cultural enclave where the hard-shell Baptist traditions of Texas had little application. Every beer joint on the beach featured slot and racehorse machines, for more serious gamblers, usually oil people from Houston, there were supper clubs that offered blackjack, craps, and roulette. One Sicilian family ran it all. But nonetheless, there was an air of both trust and innocence about the island. The roller coaster and the amusement park had been officially condemned by the Texas Department of Public Safety. But every night during the summer, vacationers packed the open cars that plummeted down warped tracks and around wooden turns whose spars and rusted bolts vibrated like a junkyard. Church-going families filled the bingo parlors and ate boiled crabs that sometimes had black oil inside the shells. At daybreak, huge garbage scows sailed southward for the horizon, gulls creaking overhead to dump tons of untreated waste that somehow in the mind's eye were refined into inert molecules of harmless matter. But inland, from the carnival rides, the fishing jetties, and the beachfront beer joints and seafood restaurants, there was another Galveston, and another industry, that made no pretense to innocence. During the next two days, we didn't see Ida Durbin on the main drag or on the amusement pier or on any of the jetties, and we had no idea where she lived either. Then on Saturday morning, while we were in a barber shop a block from the beach, we saw her walk past the window wearing a floppy straw hat and a print dress. Jimmy was out the door like a shot. She told him she had to buy a money order for her grandmother in northeast Texas, that she had to pick up her mail at the post office, that she had to buy sunburn lotion for her back, that she was tied up all day and evening. Tomorrow's Sunday. Everything is closed. What are you doing then? He said, grinning. She looked quizzically at nothing, her mouth squeezed into a button. I reckon I could fix some sandwiches and meet y'all at the amusement pier. We'll pick you up, he said. No, you won't, she replied. The next day, we discovered a picnic with Ida Durbin meant Vienna sausage sandwiches, sliced carrots, a jar of sun tea, and three Milky Way bars. We were on the amusement pier, sitting on a wood bench in the shade of a huge outdoor movie screen, 
In the background, I could hear pinball machines and popping sounds from a shooting gallery. Ida wore a pink skirt and a white blouse with lace on the collar. Her arms and the top of her chest were powdered with strawberry freckles. Dave and I go back on the quarterboat in the morning, Jimmy said. She chewed on the end of a carrot stick, her eyes staring blankly at the beach and the surf sliding up on the sand. We'll be back on land in ten days, Jimmy said. That's good. Maybe I'll see y'all again, she said. But if there was any conviction in her voice, I did not hear it. Down below, a huge wave crashed against the piling, shuddering the planks under our feet. Chapter Two After the next hitch, we went back to the motel where our cousin, the manager, let us stay free in return for running a few errands. For the next five days, Jimmy had nothing on his mind except seeing Ida. We cruised the main drag in our convertible, night-fished on the jetties, and played shuffleboard in a couple of beer joints on the beach, but nobody we talked to had ever heard of Ida Durbin. It's my fault I should have given her the motel number, he said. She's older than us, Jimmy. So what? That's the way girls are when they're older. They don't want to hurt our feelings, but they got their own lives to live, like they want to be around older men, know what I mean? We went back on the quarterboat and worked a job south of Beaumont, stringing rubber cable and seismic jugs through a swamp, stepping over cotton mouths and swatting at mosquitoes that hung as thick as black gauze inside the shade. When we came off the hitch, we were sick with sunburn and insect bites and spoiled food the cooks had served after the refrigeration.